Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Welcome, everybody. So glad that you're listening in today, which is June 9th, 2021. We are going to be talking about stress today and how the best way is to handle it. And we have an amazing expert, Dr. Meg Van Dusen, and she is going to be introducing us to attachment theory and some other very helpful, mindful information. She has her BA in English from Santa Clara University and her PhD in clinical psychology. So this is where she excels in the psychological area. Welcome, Dr. Meg Mendusen. Thanks so much for having me, Denise. How did you get on this path? Where did it all start and why? Oh, on the psychology path? Well, you know, I was always one of those kids that uh, all my friends came to if they needed to talk. And, you know, uh, I just remember as a teenager feeling strongly about wanting people to understand each other. Um, But I never really thought about being a psychologist. As you mentioned, I was an English major in college. And after college, I was teaching English as a second language and writing for freelance local newspaper writing. And um, I decided I wanted to volunteer for the suicide hotline in Berkeley, California. And so what I found was that out of the three sort of communication-oriented things that I was doing, teaching, writing, and helping people who were in psychological distress, that the latter was really the most raw, most intimate, and most rewarding in my ability to impact people's lives. So, you know, I applied to graduate school, got my PhD in psychology, and was really fortunate to have a diverse experience working with uh, all different populations before I settled in private practice. And, yeah, the rest is history. Yeah. What's well, an interesting, interesting start that you had. Really interesting. So let's talk about uh, stress and, you know, why are we stressed? Well, what gets us there? And do we we even know that we are at times? (laughs) Good question. (laughs) I mean, stress really is defined as um, any perceived or real threat. 
And so what I mean by that is, you know, you can have a car careening down the road and heading straight for you. And the stress response system in the body, which I can explain later, kicks in and your stress hormones work for you and you jump out of the way of the car. And that's an acute stressor that is obvious and clear and the heart rate returns to normal and you stop sweating after about 20 minutes and you feel fine again. (laughs) Um, chronic stress is, you know, of a different nature, and it is often harder to tell um, that we're actually suffering from it. Um, but it, too, is a result of a threat. Uh, so, you know, that could mean anything from a critical boss that we have to face every day. Uh, it could mean, you know, the worry about mass shootings. Um, that's stressing us out. Um, it could mean financial hardship, and it could even mean our own criticisms of ourselves, because those are threats too. You know, when we're telling ourselves that oh, we just said such a stupid thing, or why did I make that decision? I should have known better. Those are also threats that actually set off the stress response in our bodies. And so, when we have a multitude of those happening over a period of time, our stress response system in the body, which is called the hypothalamic pituitary axis, never actually really gets a chance to reset. In other words, cortisol, the main stress hormone that we often talk about, keeps pumping. And we stay in a heightened state, both physiologically and psychologically. And the the problem with that um, is that it can create, it can wreak all kinds of havoc. I mean, it can create physical disease um, because chronic cortisol production causes inflammation in the body um, and that makes us more susceptible to disease. And it can also create psychological um, illnesses like depression and anxiety, uh, even loneliness. So, you know, it's, it's important that we understand what's happening with ourselves, that we understand that we're actually experiencing stress so that we know what to do about it. And what do we do about it? (laughs) Well, there's a lot we can do about it. Um, uh, You know, I talk about 12 tools in my book, Stressed in the U.S., and, um, but really my angle in the book comes from a longstanding psychological theory called attachment theory. Some of the listeners may have heard of it before it was founded by a British psychoanalyst, John Bowlby, uh, who was doing research really from the 1950s through the eighties and his colleagues beyond that. Uh, And what he found was that we form really important psychological bonds with each other and that we're not just driven as infants to satiate our hunger but to actually satiate the need for psychological connectedness and so he and his colleagues began to analyze um, what is the how are these bonds formed what is the relevance of them And, you know, after decades of, you know, observing infants and toddlers with their parents and, uh, 
multitude of research that's out there on attachment theory now with adults, really what we have come to understand is that the quality of the infant care by the parent, that is how well the parent is attuned to the baby and the toddler and the child, actually is responsible for the development of that baby's brain. So, you know, it's like when you see a little baby and maybe you smile at the baby and unbeknownst to you, your pupils are actually dilating and the baby sees that and smiles in response to that pupil dilation. You smile back at the baby and you're having what's called a co-regulation of affect and nonverbal communication with the baby, which is impacting the baby's brain and helping it develop in this case in in a good way. And that brain development also includes the development of the hypothalamic pituitary axis, which is that main system in the body that regulates stress. And so if we form a well-built HPA system, um, we're more likely to be able to handle stressors in life. We're not going to, uh, you know, as easily melt down, uh, just to put it bluntly. So... You know, that is, is, is key um, in helping us navigate stress. It's, it's called secure attachment. And so when we have secure attachment, we're more able to regulate our emotion. We navigate relationships better. Life just goes better as a whole. And if the quality of the infant care does not go well, we can develop what's called insecure attachment, and there are a host of them. And that means that we are much more susceptible to stress. We might end up storming out of a work meeting that agitated us instead of observing what's going on, listening to what people are saying, and then responding. Because our HPA system is used to a heightened state of stress and will perceive threats even when they're not that threatening. So secure attachment is really, really key to being resilient uh, to stress. And I don't want to, you know, leave people thinking that, oh, my gosh, just because I had a traumatic, you know, childhood or or infancy didn't go so well because my parent wasn't very available that life is doomed um, because attachment style can change over time. And we are constantly being affected by important relationships that we're in, you know, with partners, with, um, you know, colleagues and mentors, with therapists. And so even if you start out with a, an insecure attachment, you may end up developing a secure attachment later. But my point is, why not be aware of what helps develop secure attachment so that you can intentionally go about doing that and you know, be able to navigate the stress that we're inevitably going to be facing in our lives, you know. Uh And I think what's really important about the time that we're living in is the fact that we have been dealing with unique stressors to our time and pervasive stressors. 
um, we have been inundated chronically with stress, which is much different than other times in history where we've always had stress, but maybe it's been acute or maybe it's been from a main source. And what I'm talking about is cultural changes like the um, ever-present use of technology, the uh, impact of social media on our stress levels, uh, events that have occurred like 9-11, mass shootings, phenomenal like global warming. All of these are stressors that have been happening just specifically in the last two decades. And what we've seen uh, in the psychological research is that Americans are becoming increasingly stressed out. And it's chronic. Oh, yeah. Oh. And, uh, yeah. And, and I think simultaneously, and what made me really want to write the book was that I also, in delving into the research, became aware that secure attachments were simultaneously breaking down. That actually we were becoming less secure with each other. And with our nation, because you can also have an attachment to your nation. We personify it as a mother figure, father figure. And so if you're having resilience to stress go down and stressors increase, we end up having quite a dilemma on our hands. And so I really felt that people needed to understand how to create more resilience but also just how to respond to stress in the moment, you know, the, chron- the, the critical boss, let's say, or how to actually change, become aware and change the internal threats that you're delivering to yourself and stressing yourself out without even realizing it. And so there are things that we can do that can immediately decrease stress hormones like exercise, take walks outside uh, amidst nature, and if you can't be in nature, just sit on the porch and look up at the sky. It's really good enough. Um, like eating a healthy diet because stress affects our guts and 70% of our immune system lives in the gut and it affects the neurotransmitters in our brain. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's big. I mean, it sounds very simple. Every well here that we should eat healthy, but it's really important in terms of what is now becoming a new phenomenon called psychobiotics, which is the um, understanding that what is happening in our gut is affecting our brains and vice versa. And so some practitioners are starting to treat um, psychological distress with probiotics, believe it or not. Um, So those are just a few of the things that I mention in the book, but I also talk about how to increase secure attachment um, because, as I said, that's really key to navigating stress. Why don't you give us an example? Um, well, I like the example of an example of stress, you mean, and how to navigate it? With, yeah. In other words, you, your, your statement was to increase Secure attachment. So, oh, where's an example of that? One of yeah, one of the things, and what I like to talk about is because we have a loneliness epidemic happening too, and the two are related: stress and loneliness. 
that yeah. so many people feel like, well, how am I gonna how am I gonna create secure attachment if I don't even have a primary relationship, you know? But the good uh-huh. news is this: um, you really don't need to have that. You can increase secure attachment by practicing mindfulness. And I know mindfulness is one of those words that everybody hears about, and some people think, oh my gosh, that's meditating. I don't have time for that. And it really isn't. Um, mindfulness is about being present with awareness and non-judgmentally. And it has the same components. Practicing mindfulness has the same components of non-judgmental present moment, compassionate awareness that facilitating secure attachment has. So, in secure attachment, we talk about attunement, the parent being non-judgmentally, compassionately, presently aware of what's happening with the baby or the child. That's attunement. That's what helps form secure attachment, whether they're happy or sad or whatever's going on. Well, when we do this with ourselves with mindfulness, boy, what am I feeling right now in my body? Jeez, my heart's racing. Oh, what happens when I, when I breathe? Now, we're not saying, oh, my God, my heart's racing. That's terrible, right, because we're practicing non-judgment. We're just saying, oh, my heart's racing. Curiosity, what might happen if I start to take elongated breath? Oh, my heart's slowing down a bit. Okay. Or what am I feeling right now? Oh, I'm feeling really worried that I, I, you know, made a big mistake with a colleague at work, and I can't get it off my mind. Well, what did you say? This is you talking to you. Well, I said such and Uh such, and I think I really offended that person. We're being mindful about what we're feeling. We're being mindful about what our worry is or what's happening in our body. And we're being present to that in a non-judgmental way, just being with it, accepting it, being curious about it, and being compassionate toward ourselves. And when we do that, we're creating safety within ourselves. Safety is really the um, key, you know, uh-huh. here because secure, sec- when you're securely attached, you feel safe. And so when we're creating that, we're creating safety within the self. And when we feel, when our foundation in life is that of safety within our own selves, we feel like we can handle things. Threats aren't so overwhelming to us stressors I mean and so that's one way that you can develop secure attachment within the self just by practicing mindfulness Um, that present moment awareness yeah that present it's simple and it's something you can do anytime you can stop for 60 seconds you know, in the middle of your day, let's say you're finding that you're running and you're harried and you're running from one thing to another and you're feeling quite anxious and overwhelmed, step outside or step away from the computer or whatever it is and close your eyes and just try to tune into the body. What are the sensations happening in the body right now? How can I be present with my body in a kind and loving way? Um, You're not problem solving what's going on at work. You're not thinking about your to-do list. You're in present moment non-judgmental awareness. 
And mindfulness, there have been so many studies on it now. You know, not only does it decrease cortisol in the body, I mean, that's just a fact. So it will decrease your stress hormones. It will lower your heart rate. It will lower blood pressure in many cases. But in the long run, and what I mean by long run here is really short, you know, 10 minutes of mindfulness has been shown to improve concentration and attention. 10 hours of mindfulness has been shown to improve students' test scores. You know, uh, weeks of mindfulness has shown, been shown to improve uh, people's um, levels of happiness and well-being, decreases anxiety, decreases depression, decreases loneliness, gives you a sense of feeling more connected to yourself in the world. Loneliness, depression, anxiety, those are actually stressors. So when you're practicing mindfulness, you're not only decreasing the stressors, but you're also decreasing, you're increasing, I'm sorry, the resilience to the stressors. So it really is a simple tool that I encourage people, if they don't know how to do it, to read the book and learn how to do it because you can apply it in so many different situations. Okay. Yeah, I encourage everybody to uh, to get uh, Dr. Meg Van Dusen's book called Stress in the U.S. Where can they find the book? Um, you know, you can find it. It depends on where you are. Um, you know, you can always find it online. So you can find it on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. You can go to my professional website, which is megvandusen.com, and, uh, you know, you can find it and more information about stress and attachment theory. I also have a blog, so I, I do write about, you know, stress and related topics. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty easy to get. And, oh, good. Uh, yeah, and I think that it's a really... Um, I think it's something that most people can really relate to. I think that there's, you know, I, I purposely wrote it so that everybody would get something out of it, that there would be hopefully something that everybody could relate to. Um, and so it, it does cover a lot of territory. Um, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with insomnia, it talks about sleep. If you're dealing with anxiety, it talks about that. If you're dealing with loneliness, it talks about that, you know. Um, so, and it also gives practical tools um, that people can incorporate easily into their lives because, you know, the, the bottom line is with our current culture, being as busy um, and as hyper-connected, uh, I say that in quotes, as we all are, you know, people just don't feel like they have time. And it's unfortunate because it is really not that hard. It really doesn't take that much time to implement some of these tools. And actually taking the time, sort of stepping into time and taking it, will slow down your experience of time. And, well, I, and I have a question. You feel like you have more. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question on the, uh, you know, sleep-deprived, you know, or, or you're unrested. Um, 
and a lot of times it's due to insomnia. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you are you recommending that that people would um, more or less do the mindfulness exercises for that? Well, what's interesting about insomnia is that there have been a lot of studies um, correlating people who have insecure attachments um, are more likely to have insomnia. And so here I'm going to, you know, reiterate the importance of developing secure attachment. Mindfulness in and of itself in terms of sleep, and people have probably heard a lot about sleep hygiene and how important it is to set up an external environment that really has um, very little disruption in it. So sound, light, making sure all those things are blocked out because people who are light sleepers wake up frequently to those things. But the, the thing about mindfulness is mindfulness can also absolutely help um, with people who are suffering from insomnia. Because people who are suffering from insomnia typically have higher cortisol levels. And they are having trouble sleeping because that is affecting them. And so when you're practicing mindfulness, once again, you're learning how to physiologically calm your body as well as your mind. And that is key for the body to be able to ready itself for sleep. I mean, what's great about mindfulness is that there are a zillion apps out there that people can access, and there are a million, you know, sleep meditations that people can access as well that are designed to not have a bell at the end of your meditation. So as you just do <laughs> it doesn't wake you up, but are designed um, to help you just fall asleep. Um, because it works. So, yes, I would say mindfulness is really key. It would be a key tool to helping yourself um, sleep. The other thing is getting exercise. Exercise uh-huh. is really key to balancing hormones in the body. Um, when, you know, hormones are imbalanced, it's going to be more difficult to fall asleep. So, we want to create any kind of balance that we can in the physiological, you know, systems in our body so that our, our brain is more ready for sleep. The attachment piece is key because, you know, it's true that people who are even temporarily experiencing an insecure attachment say that their marriage is on the rocks. And maybe they grew up with attuned parents and they grew up with a secure attachment, but now they're in a difficult relationship and it's creating an insecure attachment temporarily for them. People are more likely to experience insomnia. Um, So it is important that, you know, we work on ourselves and we work on our relationships. And one of the things I talk about a lot in the book is, really understanding the concept of compassion both for yourself but for other people because it will help decrease the sense of threat. When you're feeling compassionate for somebody, you don't feel threatened by them. And remember that threat is really the key to stress. Well, thank you so very much for coming on today. 
I know that we've all learned a great deal from you. I know that I've learned things that I wasn't aware of. Thanks for having me, Denise. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And again, uh, we encourage you to to, uh, get Dr. Meg Van Dusen's book from all the usual book channels. And then, now what is the name of your website again? It's my name. It's just MegVanDusen.com. That's D-E-U-S-E-N, MegVanDusen.com. Oh, good. So people can go there and look at your blog, et cetera. Yeah, and feel free if anybody has questions, they can certainly shoot me an email. Well, the best to you, and keep up your wonderful work. You take care, too. You, too. Bye-bye. All right, that wraps up our show for today. Please join us again next week. We'll have another wonderful guest for you, another uh, opportunity to learn something that you may not already know. So until then, please be well. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.health medianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What?, 